0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Kriya Yoga podcast. I'm here with a very special guest, Laurel Trujillo, who is a Center for Spiritual Enlightenment Minister, the host of the Yoga Hour podcast, as well as a retired physician. Welcome, Laurel. It's wonderful to have you.
1: Right. It's so great to be here. It's my first time actually to be a guest on a podcast after being the host for, you know, co-host with Yogacharya O'Brien for a number of years. So it's very fun.
0: Well, that'll be interesting. We'll see. (laughs) We'll see how the the tables are turned. (laughs) Um, So before we get into the topic that we want to discuss today, which um, we're going to consider, and and you put this forth the theme of the map of Kriya Yoga meditation, uh, I'd just like to get some information about who you are uh, as a Kriya Yoga teacher. Um, You studied with um, Ellen Grace O'Brien, Yogacharya O'Brien at Center for Spiritual Awareness. How did you come to that path?
1: Well, I was lucky to live in San Jose, and in the same way that many people are drawn to spiritual, the spiritual path, it was at a time of just really feeling like something was missing in my life and really wanting to explore that and really feeling that it was uh, on the spiritual side of things. I was a mom. I had young children at that time, and it was just very... Interested in trying to find a spiritual community, and then fortunately, one of the places I actually saw it in the in the yellow pages in the olden days when we actually looked in the phone book.
0: Wow! <laughs>
1: <laughs> and uh, ended up showing up there, and that was in January of 2002. And so I've been studying now with Yogacharya O'Brien at uh, Center for Spiritual Enlightenment for almost 20 years. It's 19 years now because it was in January. <clears throat> <clears throat> and uh, just gradually got more involved there. Sir- did service on t- different teams, and then ended up serving on the board of directors for a number of years. Was the president of the board for a couple of years, and was um, was um, you know went through my o- ordination you know process and was ordained in uh, 2014. <laughs> and then my main my main uh, way that I have taught is through the Yoga Hour. Right. So that's uh, that's been my vehicle, and we try and choose topics that are either people who know a lot about yoga, know a lot about Kriya yoga. For example, we had Raging Davis was a guest many, many times. That was so wonderful to have him as a guest so we could really dive more deeply into the teachings, but also just a bunch of other topics that are of interest for spiritually conscious living. So.
0: Right. And the Yoga Hour podcast, for uh, listeners who don't know, um, that is a podcast that was begun by uh, Yogacharya O'Brien, and it is it is. Put out through Unity Radio, is that correct?
1: Well, it is uh, recorded through Unity Online Radio, but it is released in all of the podcast channels as a free podcast. It's sponsored by the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, and then it's just available for free. And the only thing I I tell people is if you're going to look for it, make sure you do the yoga hour, put the the in there, because if yoga is the first word, you end up with like 50 podcasts.
0: Right, right. Yeah. And with um, with Ellen's work, Yogacharya O'Brien's work, um, she is a student of um, Roy Jean Davis as well. And the Center Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, that's in San Jose, California, correct?
1: Yes. Yes. Of course, right now within the pandemic, all the programs are really online. There's not really much going on at the center. But yes, it, hopefully later on this year, there will be programs again in San Jose, California. But online, uh, There's a, there's a, a lot there and people can... Um, see that at csecenter.org is the website. Yeah.
0: Excellent. Yeah, I, I really am glad you, you mentioned the website because, you know, CSE is is fairly well known, but a lot of people don't know that there might be a Kriya Yoga Center right on their doorstep in California. So yeah,
1: exactly. Wonderful.
0: Good. Yeah. Well, the, the topic we wanted to cover today um, that we had discussed as a theme is looking at the Yoga Sutras, but looking at the map of Kriya Yoga meditation. So uh, generally, w- what are you meaning when you when you're talking about this this idea of a map of kriya yoga meditation?
1: Well, a couple of things. So, I hope we can dive into the first few yoga, know, first few sutras from the Yoga Sutras and discuss those because it really talks about uh, about about yoga, about union, and about right. what that is and what it what happens when our mind is not free from these chitta vrittis, which we'll discuss more in a minute. But then the other thing that's great is from the limbs of yoga, the, this idea of how we can interiorize our, our attention, and then how the process unfolds itself from concentration to meditation to samadhi, to liberation. And how that is a really, to me, very powerful map that really explains what happens in meditation. And I feel personally so fortunate to have that as a guide, because we can actually see these stages as they unfold in our meditation. And I've had that experience. I'm sure you have, too, where something happens and you're like, oh, now I get it. (laughs) Now I see what they're talking about there. So it's wonderful to have this mental map. That then can we can fill in with our experiences, and our experiences can make more sense to us because we understand them it from this deep level of the philosophy of of kriya yoga. So that's what I want to talk about. Hope that's with you.
0: Oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. It's right in line with uh, kind of the theme that we've been rolling with on the kriya yoga podcast recently. And um, you know, you, you mentioned having these aha moments with. Oh, I I know where that's coming from now. I think this is one of the reasons why many people, even if if they study the Yoga Sutras or the Bhagavad Gita, and they don't quite understand it exactly the first time, that you need to keep rereading it because you're getting it in your mind and your consciousness. And then as you practice, it's like you start to recognize, oh, that's what that sutra means. So I'm glad you pointed that out.
1: Yeah yeah I mm-hmm. I definitely have that had that experience and again felt so grateful that I that it helped me make sense of what was what I was experiencing in meditation mm-hmm. it it was um it it really really helped to Help me understand in a deeper way what was happening for me. I think to have studied the Yoga Sutra, have right. studied the Bhagavad Gita, and then to have it grounded in my own experiences. And just as you're saying, you may not understand it the first time that you look at it. But these are these are life. These are texts that are worthy of a lifetime of study.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. And so, as you were discussing the idea of the first few chapters, so it sounds like we're going to look at the beginning of chapter one, and then the beginning of chapter three, or right around in that, uh, that area?
1: Uh, yeah, well, especially, especially the beginning, you know, the beginning of uh, of chapter one, and I was just grabbing, um, I was just grabbing Roy's book, The Science of, of uh, Self-Realization, a Guide to Spiritual Practice in the Kriya Yoga Tradition, because I really like his translation of the, of the, uh, of the sutras, of the yoga sutras. So at least at the beginning, we can start sure. with those. So we'll start with two. Um, and his translation of 1.2 is, Samadhi is experienced when fluctuations and changes in the meditator's awareness are restrained and pacified. Hmm. So this is great, right? I mean, it tells, it sounds pretty straightforward. I, I was interested that he chose to translate the word, uh, the, the sutra in Sanskrit is uh, yoga, shtritta, vritti, nirodha. Um, and so it, it says, um it starts with yoga, but he, he translates yoga, of course, as samadhi, which is, of course, one of its meanings. One of the things that Yogacharya O'Brien has said that I really appreciate is all the way to yoga is yoga, mm-hmm. all the way to to the, the it's it's both the the practice and the goal, right. and so this gives the sense of yes, it's something we practice every day, but there is also a goal there of this of this samadhi. And then this idea about restraining, restraining these these chitta vritti's. Mm-hmm. So, how does he say it? Fluctuations and changes in the meditator's awareness are restrained and pacified. Mm-hmm. So, this is this is if we're going to talk about a map. To me, this is okay. This is like the goal, right? We've got the we've got the end destination there, right. um, which is right at the very beginning. It tells you r- where are you going, right? Yes. <laughs> right at the beginning, one point two. That's yeah. where we're going. Um, and then this is the the next one. So one point three, the seer then consciously abides in its own nature. And he says, in parentheses, essence. So the seer then consciously abides in its own nature. So to me, this speaks to the automaticity of right. this process, right? That if we can through through the practices in our daily sadhana, if we can, you know, do those practices regularly and understand through for example setting things up in meditation through the kriya yoga pranayam and then focusing on inner sound and really bringing our attention back and back and back to inner sound you know eventually we can get to this state where the seer abides in its own nature or essence. I mean, to me, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that lovely? It tells you where you're going. It tells you kind of like what it's going to be like when you get there. Yes. Right.
0: Yes. Well, it reminds me. Uh, it reminds me, and I, I think I quote this way too often on this podcast. It reminds me of Ramana Maharshi. Roy used to tell this story that when Ramana was asked um, uh, what does it take to be enlightened, and he would say it's really very easy. All you have to do is be still. So. <laughs> So, so here we have here we have the beginning of the Yoga Sutras. It's really very easy.
1: It's right. <laughs> very easy. Just, so
0: simple. Yeah, in the fluctuations and changes, and you've got it.
1: <laughs> All right. So then to me, the the other piece that's really important to understand is 1.4, which is at other times one is inclined to identify with the changes and transformations that occur in the mind and awareness. And again, this is—is this so beautiful? So, when our mind, our our the chitta, is full of these vritis, these these modifications, these mental modifications, we tend to identify with those changes and modif and modifications in in the mental field. When we go through this process in meditation of of returning our attention again and again, which we'll talk about in a minute, that process of interiorization and focus, we can get to this state of cessation, Mm -hmm. which is then he talks about samadhi is experienced. And then we consciously abide in our own nature, which to me is, is, um, that's like the magic of it, right? Because there's that point at which you realize, I think, Looking back many, many years coming onto the path, I think all of us, certainly I, really identified myself. That's who I was, was what I was thinking, what I was, I was really identified with that. And then through meditation to develop this witness consciousness and to realize, no, I'm not my thoughts. Because if I were my thoughts, well, which one would that be, right? <laughs> they change you they change all the time. So, or if I was my body, which body would that be? Was it when I was seven or 14 or, you know, 50? It's like, which... <laughs> Right. which of the many bodies i've had would be the body that is me and so you realize that that there's something about your essential nature that is this witness consciousness and that um, we that when we can get into that state we can abide the seer can abide in its own true nature or, or essence and mm-hmm. so that those right there, pack a lot to me, right? right? Those, those few, those few sutras right at the beginning really tell us where we're going, tell us a lot about what it's going to be like when we get there. And then when we're not there, what, wh- what our mental state is like.
0: Right. And so you've, you know, you, you've mentioned how that you have nearly two decades of practice with this. So I guess my question to you would be, uh, when you first started, say, reading the Yoga Sutras or, or trying to get a handle on what was being shared there, how did you approach it in the beginning? And maybe how has that changed over time?
1: Mm. Well, I would say it was all Greek to me at the beginning. <laughs> really, you know, or Sanskrit. I didn't really, yes, right. Oh, yeah, Sanskrit. Even better, even better. No, I really, I would read these. And I guess there was a glimmer of understanding but it was really more i guess it was more of like an intrigue it was very interesting to me to think about oh okay so there is a there is a um, an essence and i in my normal consciousness don't reside in that and that was a really new thought that that was not me that that, you know, that that took me a while. And then I would say just over time, gradually through experiences in meditation, through, you know, retreats and classes and all of that, I gradually understood it at a a deeper level, um, which is why I wanted to talk about it with you today. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And I liked liked how you pointed out a little earlier, your thoughts. And if you are your thoughts, well, which one, which one of them are you? (laughs) It, it, make, right. it makes perfect sense when you describe it that way, or or your body, well, I was a child and then I was an adult, and well, which of those bodies am I really? Um, and so I think that, that that kind of awareness starts to develop when you recognize that even that your thoughts those are fluctuations and changes, and your body, the sense of your body, is kind of also flu it's also fluctuating and changing, so therefore is not you mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Yeah. And it's it's funny as I age because I almost feel like it's even more even more apparent to me now that I'm I'm aging that I I look in the mirror sometimes and I'm surprised that I look as old as I am because I don't feel that. I don't right. feel that on the inside. I think a lot of us have that experience. Um, you're probably too young to have gone through this yet you know it's really awesome. just dis- disconnect it's like oh really man i'm getting up there i'm getting old and my body is definitely changing but it doesn't you know the me that's inside has not changed right. so it's that just dis- that's that disconnect of wow this body is aging and uh and it doesn't um, my mental image doesn't go along with that anymore. So
0: right. Mr. Davis would say that often too, though. I can remember him at retreats. He would say, well, you know, if you really think about it, he said, I'm, you know, I'm in my seventies and eighties at the time. He says, but I really don't feel any different inside than I did when I was younger. And if you pay attention, you don't really notice what's going on until maybe, uh, you look in the mirror and you just happen to see a picture of yourself 20 years ago. Then you think, huh, how did that happen? <laughs>
1: Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's shocking. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it helps you make peace with things, I suppose.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For yeah. sure. So after those first three sutras, what I wanted to talk about is this uh the other part of the what I consider the map, which is the you know the last three limbs of the of the eight limbs. Um well, I guess I guess maybe the last four, you know, so this process of prachahara, this process of interiorization, which of course, there's so many ways, so many techniques that we have that can turn our attention within um so that's the beginning of it is the is prachahara, but then concentration right, and so this idea of concentration, well, first of all, the value of this map to me is it it explains so much about the process of meditation that is not useful just to people in the Kriya Yoga tradition. But I think, like, for example, there's a lot of um, people who are doing Vipassana meditation right now. And so there's a lot of present moment awareness, really focusing on the breath. And every time you are distracted, continuing to focus on the breath. So, so that's, that's uh, dharana. That's the process of concentration. And so this process that we're talking about, it, it, it is describing something bigger than, (laughs) than just the Kriya yoga path. And I (laughs) think that understanding that process would be valuable for anybody, anybody who meditates really to have heard about it. (laughs) So, um, I wanted to talk about the concentration process and then how it's an automatic process then once you, you know, concentrate and concentrate. In this case, I'm talking about focusing what I use as a, a focal point is the inner sound. Mm-hmm. So coming back to inner sound and, of course, we get distracted and you realize you're thinking about what you're going to have for breakfast or whatever, what you're going to do later today. And then you realize, ah, oh, you know, I'm I'm not focusing on what I want to focus on. So bringing it back to inner sound, bringing it back to inner sound, bringing it back to inner sound, bringing it back to inner sound. And at a certain point, that's so interesting. And Yogacharya O'Brien has taught me that we can actually see this point. It turns into meditation. So concentration Mm -hmm. flows into meditation by itself. Mm -hmm. So first I should say, the automaticity that I'm talking about, this thing that it happens by itself, I think early on in meditation, I thought I needed to do something consciously. But what we're talking about is super consciousness. You're talking about something that is beyond conscious thought. And so you cannot get there through conscious thought. And that blows your mind.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it did.
1: <laughs> especially especially when you are thinking about yourself as your thoughts, and then wanting to try and get your thoughts to bring you to a certain place that you that they can't bring you because again it's beyond thought. So how does that happen? Again it's it's not thank god. It's natural, right? <laughs> we don't have to do it. It just happens yeah. where we continue to focus and focus and focus and then it flows into meditation and I love the description of meditation as that state in which our attention and awareness is then drawn to the object that we are focusing on to the object of our of our you know to whatever we're concentrating on it just begins to flow and if you are looking for it, you can actually see that play, you can actually catch it when it happens. Right. When all of a sudden you are, you know, you, you're you fighting, you're bringing your attention back, you're concentrating, concentrating, and then it starts to flow. You can actually feel that. So that's a really cool thing to look for when you're meditating. And I did want to mention that one of the images that I got from Yogacharya O'Brien, I'm not sure she may have gotten it from Mr. Davis, but at any rate, she described the process of concentration as like a stream of water. that's coming out of a faucet. And so there are these little droplets of water that are flinging off, you know, flinging off to the side. Mm -hmm. And when, when I am in that place, trying to, again, bring myself back, bring myself back, it's very, I have like a physical uh, experience of, that of how it's like a stream of water with these droplets that are, that are spinning off. And then when it switches to meditation, it, the description is then it becomes like a stream of oil. So all of a sudden, it's smooth. You know, it's there's this smoothness to it where you don't have these drops. You know, like the the like you do when the water in a faucet that are kind of flinging off. There's this smooth flow of this oil, and that also was a helpful image to me when I was first experiencing these different these different states. Right. So,
0: and the automatic part, I, I hear what you're saying, and I I, I think I, I I get the idea, but. It is it does flow naturally once it gets going, but getting to that is not necessarily automatic.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, that's the effort. You have to put the effort in to continue yeah. to focus, to continue to focus. And that's the that's the concentration part. Right. That's that's the dharana before it gets to the dhyana where it does start to flow. And then the other thing that's so interesting to me is because again, we cannot do it consciously, we cannot do it with our conscious mind, is it happens automatically so it's it's like the grace of god right that that happens and sometimes it's this wonderful meditation and you get into this um this you know it's described as a samadhi state where there is a a merging you know with the the object Mm -hmm. um where you feel like you are the sound where you are the inner sound um and of course it doesn't happen all the time um, but then i can recognize it when it does it's like ah okay, so that's, that happened. And again, it's not something that happened because I intended it to happen or wanted it to happen. The only way it happens is by, you know, is by itself. And so Mm -hmm. that's part of the letting go of our expectations. Because if you have a, you've probably done this before, I know I have, if you're on retreat or something, you have this fantastic experience of meditation, then you sit the next time, and you're like, oh, I just want that to happen again right
0: right right, right. <laughs> i just
1: want to go back there and then that thought itself is a barrier you right. know that attachment to that state it becomes a barrier to the deepening of your meditation beyond a certain point so it, and, and, it is uh it is important to hold it very gently and not yeah. with an expectation that you're going to be able to do the same thing again
0: and what i what i hear you saying um on a a different kind of level it's as though You're putting the the work in to concentrate, to concentrate, and there's no guarantee that the next time you concentrate is going to be the breakthrough, but you just keep doing it, and and eventually, all of a sudden, there it is. It's like learning a piece of music. You keep practicing, and at some point, yes, you're going to get the music, but you don't know exactly when (laughs) you're going to get it.
1: Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the part that we need to bring to our daily practice is that dedication, that steadfastness. I think you and I talked about that when you were on, on the Yoga Hour with me, mm-hmm. which was just a couple of weeks ago, and how Mr. Davis was such a fantastic model for us in that about his steadfastness that he had had for so many years, right. so many years, and that he kept his steady, steady practice going. I, I love the... Um, the quote i have it here on a nice picture of of yogacharya o'brien and mr davis it says uh it's from it's from yogananda let your devotion to god be like a wood fire that burns steadily for a long time not like a straw fire that produces a bright flame then quickly goes out hmm. right so to me that was him he had the log fire going there
0: right well you you, you, you... practice You asked me about this on on the yoga hours. Now we're going to turn the tables around here. Um, (laughs) uh, So oftentimes when people start beginning their practice, and I see this not too often, so that's good. But oftentimes when someone starts learning, it's like there is this real enthusiasm and they want to. Take every class, read every book, meditate deeply, immediately for hours on end, and they're really into it. And when I see and feel that happen, you know, they're sending me like two emails a day or something like that. I want to say, "Whoa, there!" And I, I, I quote what you just quoted. You know, okay. let relax a little bit. <laughs> this is this. It was it um, was it. Yogananda who said you have to want God uh, with all your heart, but be okay if it doesn't happen like right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, yes, it, exactly. Yeah. You must want to meet God like today. Yeah. But then if it doesn't happen, it has to be okay if it's tomorrow.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or or a week from now. But anyway, right. <laughs> uh, so in your experience, you know, participating at uh, Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, um, your own practice, um, do you have any advice or thoughts you might give to people about the realistic uh, the realistic work that needs to go into Uh, attention to Kriya Yoga practice or or meditation, spiritual practice in general?
1: Yeah. Well, great question. And I would just go back to the advice that I know Mr. Davis always gave and Yogacharya O'Brien always gives, which is just steady, to have Mm -hmm. a steady practice and to keep it up. Mm -hmm. And if there's a break in your practice, to not let it be a permanent break, but to get back to it absolutely as quickly as you can. So, there's not, um, it's not what I want to say. It's not like perhaps revolutionary advice. I think probably a lot of spiritual teachers would give that very same advice. And that's the trickiness of it. That's the, that's the everydayness of it that we have to incorporate. And I would come back to something that I said at the beginning. I think something that, that may happen for some people is at the beginning, one of the main reasons people may come to a spiritual path is because of difficulties in their own life. Right. And as we practice, those difficulties improve.
0: right they tend
1: to get better. And so they're better, and so do we um, what happens then? And I think that can be a tricky point for a lot of people, because you know lives are busy, um, maybe especially now with the pandemic, if people have young children at home or whatever, that those few minutes to meditate may be it may seem to be an impossible feat. Hmm. And yet. That is the most important thing is that steadiness, that steadiness of practice. And uh, what the sutra that was coming to my mind was the 112, which mm-hmm. talks about the two most important aspects or two most important things are, are steadiness of practice, abhyasa, and vairagyam, which is the, um, the non attachment that we were talking about, non attachment to a certain result. And so that speaks to how those are the keys for for continued progress um, yogacharya o'brien talks about how at the beginning of the of you know when you first come onto the path oftentimes you may have different confirmatory experiences of of you know through your meditation practice and that oftentimes it doesn't take too long for those things to happen for you to have some pretty profound insights and then there's this long period of time where you're working through all kinds of stuff is coming up, especially for those of us who are householders on this path, which one of the things I love about our, our lineage is that it has a lot of householders in it. And so as a householder myself, as not someone who, who chose to you know leave life and go into a, a monastery somewhere, um, it's very reassuring to me that, for example, Lahiri Mahashaya was a householder and... Uh, Richard Davis is a householder and uh Uri Charlie O'Brien is a householder and so it is a confirmation that we can do it we right. can do it from this from this point of view and that's that thing about steady practice is um, I don't know from my own experience and I would say my own experience when I have had steady practice of meditation versus the times that I have not had a steady practice of meditation <laughs> we can run our own little little study about that uh, in our own lives we can notice notice these things a part of the self study right when you yeah. realize it's like oh my gosh I'm having I'm having a hard time with this thing that wouldn't have normally bothered me like what's going on mm-hmm. and then I say aha Oh, I have not been as regular in my practice.
0: Well, you brought up an interesting point, which I never really think of too often, but you mentioned that uh, once you begin practicing and, you know, taking, for example, the yamas and niyamas seriously, that um, some of the difficulties in your life may resolve themselves. And that's why a lot of people come to practice. And so then once they resolve themselves and a person feels somewhat content, I mean, do you, you, you get the sense that that might be... Uh, a reason for them to kind of back off a little bit every now and then because they think, well, it's okay. So I don't need to do it anymore.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, especially if that's why you came you know, right. to the path and then that changes. I think that's kind of human nature. And I mean, we know how distracting life is. Yeah. We know how much we can get distracted, even at the best of times. you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would say a pandemic is not the best of times, if you have young children at home, or what right. have you, right. that it's very, very challenging. And yet, knowing that, that you want it to be having that in your heart, that you want it to be that you want to be a wood fire, you want your devotion to your practice to be a wood fire, right. and not to be the flash in the pan kind of things can can definitely bring you back, definitely bring you back. And help you rededicate yourself to your practice
0: right so again i don't want to get too far off topic here but this discussion brought up a question that i get asked a lot that i don't have enough experience to respond to so i want to i want to send it your way okay (laughs) okay um, just to see see what you have to say. Well, uh, you could probably consider me a householder because I have pets and bills to pay and all those types of things. Um, I've never had children. Um, and so often I get asked the question, you know, we just had a child or I've got a two year old to take care of and family in that regard. Um, what do I do? And I just scratch my head and I say, i I got me. I don't, I don't know. I've never had to deal with that I just try to meditate when they're asleep. That's what I say. So, so, so from your experience, I'm wondering, do you have any thoughts on that you might be able to offer people who are dealing with family or beginning a family, but still want to remain sincere and dedicated and and get that wood fire burning?
1: Yes, absolutely. So, so first I would say, Uh, I would echo your advice of if you can find a time, even a short time, Mm -hmm. even if you can do five minutes or 10 minutes, I think that's very helpful. If you can do it at the same time of day, if you can get up that maybe 10 or 15 minutes early and have that little just slice of time to yourself before the hordes descend (laughs) as the the day goes on, that that is a, a lovely thing to do and also can be difficult If there's a way that you could bring some um, sense of holiness into your day, that can also just be really helpful. So even to have a minute, if you have a little altar, if you have a little candle somewhere in your house, maybe you have a picture of a spiritual teacher who is very meaningful to you or a beautiful scene of nature or something like that. If you can just even um, take that moment, you know, lighting that candle, even if it's just for a minute, uh, even if you don't have time to meditate, that can be a lovely that can be a lovely practice. Um, something to make you aware that there's something of your connection to what is beyond your day right which gets is gonna get swept away if you have young children, it's just gonna get swept away like crazy. Yeah. Um, so setting aside some kind of time to do some little something can mm-hmm. be really really helpful and not feeling bad about that, not feeling right. bad about that and then just realize that. What's we're so blessed with yoga because there are paths of yoga. I mean, we mostly our path is pretty heavy. Kriya yoga is pretty heavy into uh, the Raja yoga part, the te- meditation technique, etc. But there's um, selfless service. There's there's Karma yoga. There's Bhakti yoga. And if you can view your service to your family, to your young children through that through that lens, that can be a really helpful thing as well. Realize that you're not. You're not um, missing out, you know. From that, there was a a lovely story that I I read. I had a guest on the Yoga Hour um, who was um, Sean Murphy, who wrote a lovely book about um, uh, Zen. He's a Zen Roshi, and he was uh, he had a story in that book. It's the story of how Zen came to America. So some lovely stories in his book, One Bird, One Stone, and he he talks about um, uh, this other. You know, Zen uh, priest who was at a retreat with his wife, and they had young children. And he was out, outside. He all he wanted to be doing was meditating. And yet, he it was his time to not meditate. His wife was in the in the um, meditation hall meditating. He was out with the children, and all of a sudden, it struck him that what he was doing was equally um, equally a doorway to enlightenment through his service of his young children. He was describing how he had them in a wheelbarrow mostly because when he when they were done eating, then he could just take them out of the wheelbarrow and hose the wheelbarrow down. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that was a key realization for him is that right. he didn't need to he was living the teachings that they were talking about in in the in the dojang. And so much of our experience of, of something that we have to do is conditioned on how we approach it mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and if we can approach it as though this is equally valid part of my spiritual path I am providing self service or bhakti yoga I am I am interacting with this other embodied bit of divinity um, right. and of course, that can be really challenging when your kids are acting up. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> if, that, if that can be your goal, that's an equal path. That's right. an equal path, too. So that's, that's the main thing, I think, is letting go of wishing that it were different right. and really just being in the present and being in the present with, just, with as much grace as we can. Mm-hmm.
0: That, that reminded me of two things. Number one, what uh, Yogananda had said to Roy, which was read a little, meditate more, and think of God all the time. And you can do that at any time. And it reminded me of a follow-up story. I don't know where I heard this. I don't think Roy told it, but um, there was there's a story of this this priest that that lived in an apartment building and across the way. Uh, across the street, he could see uh, a prostitute who lived across the way. And he kept looking out the window and thinking, that's so disgusting, you know, sex this and negativity that, whereas the woman kept looking across the way and seeing him and thinking, geez, I wish I had time to pray and be like that. And so, he ended up going to hell and she ended up going to heaven because (laughs) the whole time that she was alive, she was thinking about devotional things and how wonderful it would be to do that. And he was thinking about... (laughs) sin and difficulty. So where your mind is (laughs) might have a a profound influence on your inner states of consciousness. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So anyway, um, let's go ahead and return back to the theme. So we were talking about, and thank you for that, by the way, I think that that really helps out a lot, that description that you gave. Um, But let's return to the idea of those, those limbs of yoga and like, for example, uh, Pratyahara or, or internalization of attention. That precedes concentration, but that is also something that one has to work on. So, um, in your experience, what are some good and effective ways that you have found to begin to train yourself to be able to go within and let go of some of those external distractions?
1: Right. So, um, for me, mantra is a great is a great practice, and um, I have had I've worked with different mantras at different periods of time. I would say this is something I've I've experienced more this year there was a new year's retreat that i went to that encouraged us to have a mantra practice for 40 days i think it was and then i realized how i really like it at the beginning of uh, my meditation practice is to work with a mantra for um you know it doesn't have to be like i don't always do the the traditional 108 i have a i have a um mala. I don't always do the 108, but I often do half, you know, half of a mala. So I do what's that 54 repetitions of a, of a mantra. And that is a beautiful thing that it has, it's been a lovely addition to my practice before then I do the Kriya Pranayam and then listen to inner sound and the meditation proceeds from there. Mm -hmm. So that is lovely. And I have worked with, um, with different ones, what I'm working with right now is uh, Om Namah Shivaya. So it's a nice one. Um, it could even just be something simple. It could even, with every breath, it could just be, you know, breathing in uh, Om and breathing out peace. It could be something that's, meaning, that's meaningful, you know, for you. So that's a, any of those are really lovely, are lovely practice.
0: Right. And I, I like the way that you're describing this in the sense of um, maybe the Yoga Sutras being a map of the process. Because, uh, for example, the yamas and niyamas, well, that is, that is just as important getting us to uh, being able to internalize our awareness. Because let's, for example, take the idea of non-attachment and contentment. Well, if you can take 10 to 20 minutes of your meditation to actually be content, I mean, really just decide... For that time, that you're you're fine, and then you have the capacity where you practice letting go of all the stuff that comes into your mind that pulls you away. Well, those are that's practicing part of the yamas and niyamas, so that when you do go to do pratyahara or 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 concentration, that it's easier, right? Mm -hmm. Oh
1: yeah, absolutely. And what I love about the yamas and niyamas is it really underlines how we can't just we can't expect to. Have our meditation be really separate from our life? That right. that doesn't work. We can't mm-hmm. only work on it when we're on the mat or the or the cushion or in the chair when we're meditating. That it really brings it into our life in this in this wonderful way, right? I, mean, I just feel so lucky that we have all these teachings to rely on. That that we know what to practice so we know we can practice the you know the yamas uh, harmlessness truthfulness it, it, it they're just they're just really lovely and there's something they get deeper the, the more that I work with them so as i mentioned i've spent almost 20 years now with yogacharya o'brien and, um, man, there's new stuff all the time, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Isn't there? I don't know. I feel like there is in yoga. There's, It's just uh, there's always something new that you can see in these practices. They're very, they're very deep. And so it really gets you out of this idea that I'm going to just meditate really hard. <laughs> That's right. all I need to do. And then I can just kind of like let it go um, and realize that, no, you have to bring it into your life and see it. Uh-huh. Uh, the self-study part is seeing it deeper and deeper and deeper the in as many situations as you can, as many right. situations as we find ourselves in, as many ways that our karma comes back on us, right?
0: Right, right. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Where something happens in our life that's very unsettling. And um, there's always something that I can see. If I look back at the Kriya Yoga teachings, There's always there's always something for me there that that helps, right? No matter what the issue is. So, and,
0: and, and you keep referring to self-study, and for those many people who know about Kriya Yoga already understand this. But you know, the the one of the descriptions of Kriya Yoga in Chapter Two of the Yoga Sutras is that Kriya Yoga is intensity in spiritual practice, self-study, as well as surrender, uh, surrender in God, and. So could you elaborate a little bit more on this idea of self-study so people have some better understanding about it?
1: Well, sure. So obviously, one of the really key practices of Kriya Yoga, the, the three that Patanjali lists are are very interrelated. Mm-hmm. And so just to give a little bit of, of uh, juice to the first, which is tapas or, or uh, self-discipline, um, It was always interesting to me that that came first, you know, that (laughs) (laughs) self-discipline came first. Um, And uh, I love the word tapas because it has to do, I don't exactly know the root in Sanskrit, but it has to do with fire, with burning. Mm -hmm. And that was always very meaningful to me in my practice of it because, for example, I would be somewhere and um, there I would, for example, be tempted to gossip, about something that I knew wasn't really, it wasn't something that I really should say or really wanted to say, you know, deeply. But there was a little part of me that wanted to just share that, whatever little bit of morsel of gossip that I had. And so the not sharing of it if anybody's gone through this, you really feel it's like I get why they called it tapas. I get yeah. why there's I get why there's a burning. That's that it, really. it hurts. It,
0: it hurts a little bit. <laughs> it
1: really is like there's a friction there. There's yeah. a heat, you know. It's like part of you wants to say it, and the other part's like, no, I'm not going to say it. No, I'm not going to say it. No, I'm not going to say it. You know, mm. and that's the
0: right. <laughs> it's well, like
1: the two sticks rubbing together there. That, that's <laughs> creating that's, some
0: heat. That's wonderful. I mean the way you described that, you know, it's like that dissonance. It's like the dissonance that that, that that comes up. That's something moving one way, something moving another way, and you your 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 intensity or your, your tapas, your practice is to keep doing it until you finally <laughs> Overcoming. That's a good way to think about it. I like that. Right.
1: And it does get easier. It really mm-hmm. does get easier, but especially at first, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of burning. You're putting the brakes on and that's generating a lot of heat. Right. right. So then uh, self-discipline. So self, uh, I'm self, self-study. Self-study is really interesting to me because it's very broad. So mm. self-study is obviously studying ourselves. In fact, even noticing this process of tapas, that's part of that. It's why it's, they're related to each other. You can see this process within yourself. And then study also has to do with studying the nature of consciousness. So studying our own consciousness and seeing when these things come up for us, that's part of it, but also reading. So, for example, all of the wonderful books that Mr. Davis left us, wonderful uh, practice to be able to, to um, use that, um, you know, refer, refer to those books. So there's, um, there's this, you know, the self, uh, self-discipline, self-study, which involves those two things that I mentioned, at least. Um, that's all that comes to my mind. Maybe you hmm. have other things to add to it. But to me, it's study of the nature of consciousness as well as study of ourselves in any situation. And right. that includes, by the way, getting triggered. Anytime I get triggered, and especially if I I have to say I do need to have a regular medita- meditation practice, because if I get triggered, and I'm into it, like, you know, how you get angry or whatever, you you, cannot, you can also just be gone where you're not, you where you, you know, it, it happens too quickly. And you, before you know it, you're really upset yeah. and angry and you're responding uh, or you're reacting. You're, it's like the knee jerk. You're just reacting to it. Hmm. But when I have an active meditation practice, it does open up this space right. that where something will happen to me and I I can stay in witness consciousness long enough to be able to see, oh, something just happened, like, oh, uh, my pulse is really, sp- you know, speeded up, I'm feeling something, I'm feeling afraid, I'm feeling right. anxious, whatever it is, that's a wonderful time for self-study and think, wow, what was that?
0: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> what the heck
1: was that? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that's self-study. And then uh, the last one is uh, surrender, surrender, Ishvara Pranidhan, so surrender to God. So fe- this feeling like everything's going to be okay. Which, um, getting back to, I think another thing we might have talked about on my podcast, one of the one of my favorite of the um, verses of the Bhagavad Gita is two forty, which talks about even a little bit of this practice, which to me is the practice of yoga. A little bit of this practice removes great fear. Mm. And that has been something that has been very, very helpful to me to reflect on, and I and has been true in my life, where, we can get stuck in our ego consciousness. We can get stuck there. Um, and that's that's the point I am where I am when I am feeling afraid or anxious or whatever. And then when we can relax into our wholeness and relax into the oneness that we can we can have experience of in the deepest part of meditation, if we can bring that that state of mind back, it does allow us to let go in this beautiful way that makes everything better right <laughs> if, if, if we can get there yeah. it really ma- it really makes everything better and to me that's what they're talking about in that in that 2 240 of the bhagavad gita right. even a little bit of this practice can uh, will remove great fear mm-hmm. so
0: well, if you catch a glimpse, uh, you know, as the, the the purpose and direction of meditation is to catch a glimpse of that witness where you, you recognize, as you said earlier, that, you know, of these thoughts, which one am I? Well, I'm not any of them. Or of the body, which of these bodies am I? I'm not any of them. If you catch a glimpse of that, then... Yes, in, in your mind or in your experience, um, the next time a worry comes up around a thought or a, a, an issue of your body, you're, you're maybe going to be less likely to get pulled into it because you, you've experienced at least a few times, well, hey, wait a minute, I'm actually not this thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And it's just to me, getting back to those first few verses of the Yoga Sutras that we we're just talking about, you can realize, oh, I am in that state of mind where I am identifying with these different states of consciousness. Right. I am identifying with my body, I'm identifying with my mind, and then realizing, oh, there's a different there's a different state of consciousness that I can, I can identify with. you know, my true nature, my essence of being is not that. Mm-hmm. And that is so lovely to have that experience in meditation and be able to call it up and remember it and hold hold on to it. There's such beautiful quotes from various mystics. I think it was was it uh, Julian of Norwich that you know talked about um, all all this is full, all that is full. When fullness comes from fullness, fullness remains, and. I, if you've had that experience in meditation, you, you've, you felt what that feels like that wholeness that is, that is our essence of being and that we can experience that we can get back to. And that definitely removes great fear.
0: Yeah. Yes. I don't even know what else to say beyond that. (laughs) Uh, But the idea of self-study, you know, that's, as you mentioned, that's paying attention to, not just the nature of consciousness, but also our own our own unique temperament because if we can understand our own unique temperament, then we can also understand, as you mentioned, triggers that we have, how we relate to things, and once you start to get a glimpse of that you 're less likely to go into an unconscious state to get too caught up in it um, i I had a friend recently um, of african American descent and um He got he got profiled and pulled over uh, here in the lovely land to where I live, and um, uh, and he was accused of something that he obviously did not do, and they were Mm. they were anyway. It was a difficult situation, but he remained calm, Mm -hmm. and he was still upset. But um, you know, if if we think about it, he's been a meditator for a while, and and if he had not had the ability to know what his triggers are, to know what difficulties there might be if he expressed what he wanted to express there would have been more trouble there so in that experience of self-study even though it's you know we can't change society that quickly we're trying um on an individual level, it can even benefit us, even when we come up against um, difficulty or unfairness or adversity. On some level, by learning to re- to know what we are and 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 manage our responses, master our, our consciousness in that way, still there, there's a benefit there. There's something good to know there. So it's it's practical and mundane as well as much larger picture too. Hmm. Hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it was my good fortune, as I mentioned, to serve on the board of directors at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. And one of the things that was really wonderful to see was to see the teachings brought to life in situation after situation. So, something would come up and the board would have to talk about, well, what do we do? And then to turn back for guidance to, for example, the yamas and the niyamas and really see, oh, those apply here. Mm -hmm. Oh, those apply here. And it it was actually very powerful to realize how these teachings are are um, are infinitely adaptable. Right. And there is so much there. So they can add so much richness to our life. Um, And just feel a gratitude, right? Gratitude to my teacher, Yogacharya O'Brien, to her teacher, Roy Eugene Davis, Mm -hmm. to, you know, to Yogananda, to the rest of the lineage that brought these teachings forward so that they are accessible to us. Um, We are so blessed.
0: Yes. Yes. And we're coming near the end of our time together. Um, But do you have any final thoughts or ideas you'd like to share with listeners about this idea of uh, the map of of Kriya Yoga meditation or practice in general?
1: Mm. Well, um, I would say... Um, one thing that we haven't talked about, which for some reason I was flashing on, was uh, this idea of a sattvic sattvic life. You know, okay. so this idea of um, there are these three uh, gunas that are everything in creation is made up of these, and sattva is the one that is uh, it's it's light and. Um, uplifting, this uplifting energy that we can access and that it can be really helpful to think about that and think about ways in your life that you can bring that in. So for example, being outside in nature is one of the really easy ways to do that because there's a lot of sattvic energy in nature. And so um, in if, if you're having a dark day, if it's a time that you're struggling, see if there's a way that you can get outside um, and Obviously, food also can, um, for their, sattvic food is food that's very cl- close to its uh, natural essence, you right. know, so have a piece of fruit, go on a walk, um, do something to bring your energy more into a sattvic, um, a sattvic space, right. and that will really benefit you. And then it will be easier to do the other things we've been talking about, to have a regular meditation practice, etc.,
0: all right. That, that reminds me again of uh, uh, someone asked Ramana Maharshi, what was uh, what is what is one of the greatest aids to the spiritual path? And he said, uh, uh, of all things, the, the one he focused on, he said, a sattvic diet. Uh, so yeah. a, a light and healthy diet is, is uh, best for the mind to allow you to to do this well. So anyway, well, I want to thank you so much for for being here today. It was really a pleasure to speak with you.
1: Yeah, well, same here. Thanks for asking me uh, on your a podcast. I really enjoyed it, Ryan. I hope uh, your listeners enjoy it as well, and hope that maybe they come and check out the Yoga Hour.
0: Yes, the Yoga Hour, and I will put a link to that um, in the description of this podcast. Those of you who can go check it out. And there's was there ten years worth of podcast material on there? Is that correct?
1: Over ten years. That's right. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot of stuff out there, including, by the way, Roy. Lots of great conversations with Roy. So you can if you find it on any of the podcast apps, you can just put raging. Davis in there, and a bunch of episodes will come up. In fact, he was on the Yoga Hour on a Thursday uh, the week before he passed. So oh. it was uh, it was like the last uh, week of his life, and he was on the pad- podcast. And I cannot tell you how shocked I was to find that he had passed just you know less than a week later because he was just himself. He right. was just uh, totally, amazingly present and uh, had such great uh, teachings. So.
0: Excellent. So we will direct them to the yoga hour podcast with the the, the V in there. Um, (laughs) But anyway, thank you so much for being here. And I look forward to being in touch soon.
1: Sounds good, Ryan.
0: Okay, take care.
1: All right. Bye. This episode of the Kriya Yoga podcast was made possible by donations from Kriya Yoga apprenticeship students and supporters of our Patreon community at www.patreon.com forward slash Kriya Yoga.